Another vaccine joins the list of promising candidates to deal with COVID-19. First, we had the Pfizer-BioNTech, then we had Moderna, and now the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, Dr. Chris Smith, who is the consultant clinical virologist at Cambridge University and one of BBC's Radio Live's Naked Scientists, is back with us. Hi, Chris. Welcome back. Hello, Kim. Thank you. Let us talk about the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, the claim that it could protect 90% of people against COVID-19 has been questioned and there have been allegations that it tried to embellish the results. What's the story? Well, the story is that the share price is down a bit, not surprisingly. But uh, there's some good news in here as well. Uh, So let's explain what happened. So AstraZeneca and Oxford University, they're in partnership to produce what they dub Chadox-1 NCOV-19, or to give it its proper pharmaceutical name, AZD-1222, which is the drug they've got in trials. It's in phase three trials and has so far been into about twenty to 30,000 people. And it's a coronavirus vaccine. The way it works is they've taken a chimpanzee adenovirus. So this is a cold virus for chimpanzees that humans don't catch. And that's critical because you need humans not to catch it because that way they're not immune to it already. Because if they were, it might not work so well. They've removed from that chimpanzee cold virus a couple of genes that are critical It's like pulling the Kickstarter off of your motorcycle. It's a motorbike. It would roll down the road like a motorbike, but you can't start the engine. You'd need some other way of doing that. So they can grow it in the lab, but the minute it goes into the body, it doesn't do anything. It's just like a Trojan horse. It delivers to the cells that pick it up the message for how to make the outer coat, the spike protein of coronavirus. And it does it really very well. And it presents that to the immune system, and it makes both antibodies as well as white blood cells called T-cells, which do a range of jobs, but they're an important second part of the immune response. And when they've put this into tens of thousands of people, both in the UK, also in Brazil, there's a 30,000-person trial, that sort of scale going on in America, and also in South Africa, they've got trials going on. They have reported a very good side effect profile, so they're not seeing dramatic side effects. They're seeing a good response. And what they announced at the beginning of the week was that they said uh, they got 70% protection. And then they said, but actually, in some cases, it's 90%. So everyone then said, well, hang on, can you tell us what's going on? It turned out that in the 12,500 people in the UK arm of the trial, someone made an error when measuring out the doses So what happened is that about 2,500 people in the UK arm of the trial actually got not two high-dose hits with the vaccine, because that's what they're doing, two doses about a month apart. They got half the dose and then the full dose. And in that group, they're saying the effectiveness is more than 90%. But in the people who got two high doses, so high dose, wait a month, second high dose, it's 60%. Average of the two? 70%. 70%. And this is as they Pfizer themselves, Mene Pangalos, who I know actually, he, he works in AstraZeneca just up the road from where we are. He described this to the media as serendipitous, because what it might have done is to reveal a way, not just to make the vaccine doses that are being knocked up go much further, because you can halve one of them, 
But also, if it is that effective at that lower dose, it's profound in terms of its immunising power. And also makes us ask, well, how is it doing that? On the other hand, it could be a statistical artefact. It could be a glitch because this is what we call a subgroup analysis. If you single out a bunch of people who've been treated a bit differently in your trial and analyse just them, you're very prone to making very statistical bias mistakes. Another vaccine joins the list of promising candidates to deal with COVID-19. First, we had the Pfizer-BioNTech, then we had Moderna, and now the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, Dr Chris Smith, who is the consultant clinical virologist at Cambridge University and one of BBC's Radio Live's Naked Scientists, is back with us. Hi, Chris, welcome back. Hello, Kim, thank you. Let us talk about the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, the claim that it could protect 90% of people against COVID-19 has been questioned and there have been allegations that it tried to embellish the results. What's the story? Well, the story is that the share price is down a bit, not surprisingly. But uh, there's some good news in here as well. Uh, So let's explain what happened. So AstraZeneca and Oxford University, they're in partnership to produce what they dub Chadox-1 NCOV-19, or to give it its proper pharmaceutical name, AZD-1222, which is the drug they've got in trials. It's in phase three trials and has so far been into about twenty to 30,000 people. And it's a coronavirus vaccine. The way it works is they've taken a chimpanzee adenovirus. So this is a cold virus for chimpanzees that humans don't catch. And that's critical because you need humans not to catch it because that way they're not immune to it already. Because if they were, it might not work so well. They've removed from that chimpanzee cold virus a couple of genes that are critical It's like pulling the Kickstarter off of your motorcycle. It's a motorbike. It would roll down the road like a motorbike, but you can't start the engine. You'd need some other way of doing that. So they can grow it in the lab, but the minute it goes into the body, it doesn't do anything. It's just like a Trojan horse. It delivers to the cells that pick it up the message for how to make the outer coat, the spike protein of coronavirus. And it does it really very well. And it presents that to the immune system, and it makes both antibodies as well as white blood cells called T-cells, which do a range of jobs, but they're an important second part of the immune response. And when they've put this into tens of thousands of people, both in the UK, also in Brazil, there's a 30,000-person trial, that sort of scale going on in America, and also in South Africa, they've got trials going on. They have reported a very good side effect profile, so they're not seeing dramatic side effects. They're seeing a good response. And what they announced at the beginning of the week was that they said uh, they got 70% protection. And then they said, but actually, in some cases, it's 90%. So everyone then said, well, hang on, can you tell us what's going on? It turned out that in the 12,500 people in the UK arm of the trial, someone made an error when measuring out the doses So what happened is that about 2,500 people in the UK arm of the trial actually got not two high-dose hits with the vaccine, because that's what they're doing, two doses about a month apart. They got half the dose and then the full dose. And in that group, they're saying the effectiveness is more than 90%. But in the people who got two high doses, so high dose, wait a month, second high dose, 
it's 60%. Average of the two, 70%. And this is, as they, Pfizer themselves, Mene Pangalos, who I know actually, he, he works in AstraZeneca just up the road from where we are, he described this to the media as serendipitous because what it might have done is to reveal a way not just to make the vaccine doses that are being knocked up go much further because you can halve one of them, but also if it is that effective at that lower dose, it's profound in terms of its immunising power and also makes us ask, well, how is it doing that? On the other hand, it could be a statistical artefact, it could be a glitch because this is what we call a subgroup analysis. If you single out a bunch of people who've been treated a bit differently in your trial and analyse just them, you're very prone to making very statistical bias mistakes and that might be what it is. So uh, on the one hand, you might have an interesting scientific discovery here. We certainly have a vaccine that appears to work and that's encouraging, so there is some good news, but what it hasn't done is to is to encourage people to be supportive and to have confidence in the vaccines for all coronaviruses because one of the big complaints is this is being done in a hurry, therefore corners could be being cut, could that make things unsafe? And of course this is not helping to reinforce the argument against that stance. Well no, but remember just a month or two back everybody was saying no way will we get a vaccine before, oh, I don't know, the end of next year, middle of next year, whatever. Um, and Donald Trump came out and said, oh, there's a vaccine on the way in the next few weeks. And everybody said, he's crazy, right? And then it happened. So what happened to make everything move so much more quickly than everybody believed possible? Ah, um, no one was saying that there wouldn't be a vaccine because there are two different issues here. The one, the one issue is, can we make a vaccine? And we already had a number of irons in the fire and a number of those irons in the fire, including this AstraZeneca Oxford University vaccine, had reported initial data that showed it was possible to make a coronavirus vaccine and that it could protect individuals at early stages of their clinical trials process. What still remains the fact and the case is that it's one thing to have a vaccine. It is another to have a vaccine at the scale we're going to need it and to deploy it into the field and then get it into patients at the scale we need to do that at. And as one commentator described this, I think it was Andrew Pollard, who's the director of the Oxford Vaccine Group, at a press briefing at Downing Street in London when these results were announced. He said, you can think of this as being a bit like we've got to Everest Base Camp. Because one reporter was saying, well, are we, are we there yet? Have we reached the top now? Are we, are we on the way down now? And he said, no, we've reached base camp. The peak is still there. The hard climb is ahead of us. And the reason he's saying that is, for the reasons I've just outlined, it's not trivial to do the sort of scaling exercise this is going to take to make vaccines of all kinds at the scale of billions and get them into people. Right. So having a vaccine is one thing, having a vaccine available to everybody is quite another thing. Just explain to me any scientific explanation as to how there could be um, a lower efficacy for a higher dose of the vaccine and a higher efficacy on that half dose. It sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? It's certainly got academics scratching their heads. One plausible theory has been advanced, but there is no data for this. It's purely speculation. We will need to see the data from the studies and, and get scientists independently to have a chance to trawl through what appears to have happened in these patients to know if this is the case for sure. 
But one group are suggesting that one possibility is because of the way this works, where you have a chimp adenovirus that is delivering a coronavirus gene, if you give a really high dose to start with, the initial immune response you make is principally against the vector, the chimpanzee cold virus, with less against the coronavirus. And then when you come back with the second booster dose a month later, most of it gets mopped up by the immune response you caused the first time so that then the coronavirus reinforcement doesn't really happen. Whereas if you give a really low dose to start with, what does get in, gets in, doesn't stimulate the immune system very much against the cold virus because there's a limited amount of that. But because it's programmed to make an enormous amount of the coronavirus spike protein to educate your immune system against that, you get the dominant immune response against that coronavirus component so when you come back the next time for the booster dose you don't soak up all of your vector with your pre-existing immune response you've made it still gets into cells and then drives a really strong reminder to the immune system what coronavirus looks like and you get that incredible reinforcement it sounds plausible they're talking a good game but we do need to see the data in order to know if this is a realistic prospect Will we need, I think you've said we will need, a range of vaccines? Is the reason for that the possibility that the coronavirus will mutate and build up resistance or be immune to a vaccine? Um, The reason for suggesting and advocating for a range of different vaccines is manifold. One is that uh, it's early days. And as yet, no vaccine is across the line with a regulator. At the moment, Pfizer have put their genomic vaccine into the American regulator and they're asking for emergency approval. They are probably, if they haven't already, doing the same thing with the MHRA, the UK equivalent. And they'll ask for rapid emergency approval under public health grounds. And they'll ask for the trial data from the other countries in which they've tested their vaccine to be taken into account for, say, UK regulation. That's one agent. There's a limit on how much a population can access of that agent. And it's early days. We don't know really what the long term protection conferred by, say, Pfizer's agent will be. It might be fantastic. It might last for years. On the other hand, they've only tested it within a couple of weeks or a month or so uh, in terms of how many cases they got after they vaccinated people. So we don't know what the long term benefit will be. It might fail. Therefore, having backup plan B, plan C, plan D very important. The other thing to bear in mind is Pfizer, as we've said on this programme before, have the problem at the moment that it's not trivial to distribute their vaccine because it has to be kept at minus 80 degrees. So in countries like the UK, that's not such a headache because it's fairly easy to source those sorts of pieces of infrastructure to drive things around and keep them cold and there's a solid electricity supply. But in a third world country, people are not so fortunate. They don't even have fridges, let alone a sustainable electricity supply. So it would fall at that hurdle. Having a plan B, having a plan C, very important. And then there's the question that some of these vaccines might work better in some groups of people than others. And at the moment, we don't know for sure. Um, We know that the the Pfizer ones, for example, they've analysed a group to say it's 90% effective. But if you look at who got that half dose, they were all younger people in in the UK under 55. So will older people get that 90% magic response if they were to get this half dose, full dose? We don't know. AstraZeneca will have to do another trial to now find out whether people 
over the age of 55 get the same benefit of half dose, full dose that the people in their trial who got that magic half dose, full dose regimen and seemed to do very well out of it, whether the same would be true for older people. And it's those sorts of unknowns that mean that vaccine resilience and having lots of different horses for lots of different courses is, is very important. Do you, is there any danger, Chris, that safety is compromised by, by speeding up the regulatory approval process for these vaccines? Well, uh, as Matt Hancock, the um, health secretary in the UK, has said, that um, although these things will be offered to the regulator, that the regulator will not deploy them. He, he will not allow them to be deployed unless the regulator give them their full approval. And the regulator are completely independent. They will take the same view of an agent that's been through 10 years of trials as, as, as 10 months of trials in terms of that they'll apply the same scrutiny. They won't say, well, there's a pandemic, we'll, we'll wave some things through. They will look at it and if they're not happy, they won't sign off on it. Yeah, but 10 years of trials will show you the long-term effects. 10 months of trials will not. This is true. And for this reason, this is why I, I know that there is some uncertainty around the AstraZeneca vaccine. But actually, when you look at where that comes from, uh, its pedigree is very important. Because unlike, say, Pfizer and Moderna's vaccine, which are genomic vaccines of a type we've never made before, never used in humans before, and never treated a d disease with before, the uh, vaccine from AstraZeneca, this Chadox construct actually has been used in many many clinical contexts one of the most famous ones it was used to make a vaccine against ebola and as such it has gone into thousands of people it's been very effective and they've got years of follow-up and we know it's safe so that one comes with that pre-built track record so on the one hand yes it sounds like it's a bit iffy but on the it doesn't seem to be as, as potent as the pfizer results or the moderna results but actually it comes with that extra pedigree that track record of years of safe use in other contexts and that that's got to stand for something the um the next vaccine off the rank is supposed to be janssen pharmaceuticals which is a subsidiary of johnson and johnson New Zealand signed up to buy 5 million doses of this. What do we know about it so far? How will this work? This one is uh, another vector one. So as I was saying, with AstraZeneca, they've got a chimpanzee cold virus that's the vector. It's the Trojan horse that carries in the gene coding for the outer-coated coronavirus. The Janssen vaccine is an adenovirus, a, a human cold virus, adenovirus 26 vector. And they've done the same thing, effectively. You use that virus to carry in the genetic message that the coronavirus would carry into your body if it infected you for real and express very, very high levels of the outer coat of the virus to force your immune system to respond with making antibodies and white blood cells. The attraction of that is they are testing a single-dose regimen. The other vaccines that are being tested at the moment are two hits. You get vaccinated once, wait a month or three weeks and get hit again. The Janssen approach is a single dose, uh, so that could be very attractive on the grounds of practicality and cost. Um, we've got 30 seconds to assess the reports that there is a Russian Sputnik V announced 90% efficacy for the uh, for the Russian vaccine. Are you excited by that at all? <laughs> I'm more worried, and I'm very worried, because if you look at who's had it, the person who's its most staunch advocate, who is President Putin, has not had it. I think that says a lot, doesn't it?